And now it's time for News with My Dad, a show where we talk about the news with my dad in studio live, playing the role of my dad, is in fact my dad, the star of our show, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? Well, I'm a little sleepy this morning because Coco Goff kept me up late last night. Oh, I was disrespectful of her. This is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout-out? I do indeed. In fact, I have two shout-outs. First, I want a shout-out for Laura Kelly, the governor of Kansas, who, as a Democratic governor with a totally... Republican legislature has managed to engineer a bipartisan health bill that passed the legislature that she's signing that gives significant increased access for Kansans to health care. My compliments to Governor Kelly for pulling that off. And then I want to shout out for Alyssa Nacken who has been hired by the San Francisco Giants as a full-time baseball assistant coach. First woman to have that job for the Major League Baseball, any Major League Baseball team. She was a star softball player, could hit like crazy. And I'm shouting out for Alyssa for getting that job. Well... I want to give a shout-out to Alyssa Kenny Geyer, who is indeed uh, stepping down from the legislature. also want to ask you, Pop, where do you want to start? You want to start with the impeachment trial schedule, which we now have. Do you want to start with the New York Times endorsement for the presidency and election news? Do you want to start with the Virginia gun rally? Where do you want to go? Well, all of those are possibilities. I was going to start with international, but I think it might make sense. Because if I understand correctly... You have a pretty good rundown of what the rules on impeachment are going to be, and it just, I think, might be very useful to our listeners to have that up front. Here's what I do know. I do know what is coming this week. Trump's briefs are due at noon Eastern today. The House manager's reply is due 24 hours later. That's an hour and 25 minutes from right now. The Senate will then reconvene at 1230 on Tuesday, uh, again, Eastern Time. And right after that, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, is expected to deliver some brief, brief remarks. And then the trial will convene at 1 p.m. Tuesday, Eastern Time. That's 10 a.m. Pacific. That's an hour after this show typically ends. Once the trial starts back up, McConnell will immediately introduce a motion on the organizing resolution. That'll trigger two hours of debate on that resolution. Senators will have an opportunity to offer amendments. That could drag on for some number of hours, depending on how many amendments are introduced. The Senate will then vote on the resolution, after which opening arguments will commence. Senators will almost certainly get to vote on whether or not to call impeachment witnesses. There'll be some vote on that. We don't know how that vote is going to go down. The resolution laying out the rules of the trial is expected to mandate the senators take up or down votes on calling for witnesses and documents. Those votes won't come until the House impeachment managers and the defense team deliver their opening arguments. So that's what I know up to now. And thank you, by the way, to the team who helped compile the information. And I think we, we want to acknowledge that today is Martin Luther King holiday of my being here keeps me from being at the Scanner Breakfast. I hope the Scanner Breakfast is well attended. That has become a, a really important 
activity every MLK Day in Portland, Oregon? It is an institution. It is also, as the Scanner newspaper is, the Scanner newspaper, though, in a piece oh, of yeah, news, this is so sad. just announced it will no longer be issuing a print edition. They are not closing down. Bernie Foster's outfit will continue, but they are no longer going to be printing a Scanner newspaper. I continue to believe that the accelerating loss of printed news and people going to printed news is one of the great dangers afflicting our democracy. Because one thing that a, that a newspaper does, it gives people all the same place to start in arguing or belief or whatever it is. And as you lose that, so that people can pick which social media they want to go to or don't want to go to, pick which of the umpteen sources of Maybe news, maybe not news. You just lose lose a common understanding of what's going on. There is There are a number of factors that are leading to a loss of shared experience in the United States. If one were trying to topple the United States as a global power, or even just soften it a bit, you might want it to lose its shared experience and its sense of common experience. Uh, but what would you do? To, do you think it's something about the printing, or you just think if everybody went to the same website, they would still get to the common experience? Well, I know you like paper. I'm staring. You know, you 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 don't have your clipboard. Well, you actually do have your clipboard over next to you, and you also have a pad of paper. So I know some of it is just that you like to kill trees in favor of information. But is it just your hatred of trees that uh, that drives you this, or is it your hatred of electricity? Actually, it's my belief in agriculture and the wonderful things that we are doing in agriculture, growing trees that make it enable, enable us to have a common paper. I believe that the Portland School Board ought to enact a rule that requires all students to get a newspaper at least once a week and have to comment on it. It ought to start young, no, no later than seventh grade, maybe even as early as fifth grade, so people develop an appetite, an appetite for the news. I think they should uh, make them listen to the radio. <laughs> required, required two hours, 90 minutes, just 90 minutes. Required 90 minutes of radio listening each morning, at least on Mondays and Thursdays. Starting at 7.30. Alan Dershowitz, well, they, you know. Usually about that. Alan speaking Dershowitz. Speaking of Alan Dershowitz, go ahead with what you have to say about I guess, Alan I guess you were speaking no, of you, which. You go we ahead. weren't speaking of which. I was going to speak of which, but then no, you said you, speaking you of which. You go ahead and speak about it, and then I want to talk about his interview on CNN, on MSNBC this morning. I just, I don't know. It, it is, he is, he is representing Donald Trump. Anybody who doesn't see anything, uh, doesn't think there's something under the covers about that, I think is not paying attention <laughs> To oh, was the, it under the covers that it went on? <laughs> I, 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 is not paying attention to the same world that I'm paying attention to. Anybody who watched what happened with Jeffrey Epstein, who's not drawing connections down Dershowitz, uh, is not paying attention to what I'm paying attention to. Anybody who's still wondering what the heck happened to Alan Dershowitz's wife is not paying attention to the same world I'm paying attention to. But, yeah, he will be on the legal defense team, and he says he's not going to say anything about facts. He's just going to say that this isn't impeachable because it can only be criminal-like conduct, and this was not criminal-like conduct. That is the Dershowitz position. And by the way, it, although Dershowitz was going to make some argument, you can find a lawyer to make just about any argument, the, uh, the argument that he is making it underscores something I would have liked to see 
which is uh, making sure there was a an impeachment article that was clearly a criminal act, right? Including you know tax evasion, maybe maybe a monuments clause, although that's it, it, although is that criminal or is that merely uh, unconstitutional? Uh, Chairman Schiff said it's an absurdist position. Uh, one that some would only make if the facts of the case were not on their side. Jeffrey Tubin said Dershowitz make an argument against witness testimony in the impeachment trial. Uh, it would take just four Republicans to vote with Democrats to call witnesses like John Bolton, like Lev Parnas. Two-thirds of Americans said they would like to hear from Bolton in the trial, according to a Quinnipiac poll. On MSNBC this morning... Dershowitz was interviewed. Why? Why do they interview this guy? Why do they keep uh, saying, they, "Hey, and, you're credible still"? And he he makes he makes this sophistic argument about how not sophisticated, uh, but as sophistic. in as, as in a sophistry. Exactly. And and the interviewer said, "Well, Mr. Dershowitz, putting aside whether or not abuse of power is an impeachable offense." Do you believe that Donald Trump did abuse his power? And do you know what his answer was? Hmm. I'm not going to answer that question. Of course he's not. In so many words, he said, I'm not going to answer that question. But what she should have asked, she should have said, now, in the Constitution, it gives these three reasons for impeachment. Treason is defined in the Constitution. Bribery is named but not defined. You are a criminal law professor. Would you tell us exactly what the crime of bribery is? And he would then have to go ahead, either refuse to answer that one, which is hard to imagine why a criminal professor would not, but he would have to say, well, bribery means accepting something of value in return for doing something that you're not supposed to. And then she could say, well, then why isn't telling a leader of a foreign country to gin up a phony investigation of your political opponent, and and if you don't, we're not going to give you $400 million worth of military aid that has been approved by Congress. Why is that not bribery? And let him hem and haw over that one. I think he'd have an easy out. I think his out would be the same one, which is his definition of bribery. And he'd probably be smart enough. He was a good law student. Uh, he'd probably be smart enough to be able to embed it in his answer to your initial question, which is bribery is the trading of something uh, of value for something in violation of the law. And then he'd say, point at, point at me, the place in the law. And that we've got him, because the, the, GA, the GAO has just said this week that the withholding of the money wa- violated the law. Boom. Boom, chalaka. <laughs> <laughs> I say shakalaka. Dad says chalaka. I, I hope that's cool with everyone. Dad... There is a gun rally happening in Virginia today. And they're talking about thousands of people. I'll be interested to see how many people actually show up. Oh, I bet it, they're expecting as many as 50,000 people. Uh, buses routing from neighboring states were sold out before the weekend. Uh, I think they're, I mean, there are a lot of people with guns in this country. And what we know is that the bulk of guns are owned by a small sliver of the people. That means there are passionate gun owners in this country. 
Various groups include armed militia, right wing extremists. Uh, it, it, it's going to be a and, real. It's going to be a real garbage fire. And pop. they're not going to be a garbage fire happening in Virginia. They're not going to be allowed to bring their guns onto the Capitol grounds. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> the uh, Ralph Northam has declared a state of emergency ahead of the rally. That does include banning firearms from the area around the Capitol building. Uh, states of emergency. Uh, apparently, the reason you do a state of emergency is you, so you can do things you can't do other times. Right. Including things we should probably do other times. <laughs> like saying, hey, over here, I just, I subscribe to the Deadwood philosophy, okay, to the, uh, uh, to the uh, philosophy is you can carry a gun, okay, you can have a, you can own a gun, but as Wyatt Earp said in the legendary film Deadwood, Okay, you, played you, by Kurt Russell. You, you hang just, it up outside of you town. You just can't carry the gun in town. Right. Okay? So anyway, it depends on the definition of the town, but the capital at this point during the state of Russia is going to be the there town. there are so many holes in the gun nuts argument when they say what the Second Amendment says that shall not abridge. If yeah, let's you, well regulate that stuff. If, if, you take, if you take what they say is the meaning of the Second Amendment— then it is impossible for the Federal Aviation Agency or from TSA to tell me that I can't bring my firearm onto the airplane. Yeah. What is a more classic example of the government telling me that I can't have my well, gun? Let's be clear. What's happened, what's happened now, what's happened with gun ownership in the United States, is it has become linked to identity, and very specifically white identity. It is not an accident that this is scheduled for Martin Luther King Day. Don't think that there aren't millions of Americans, including millions of racist Americans, who decry and are sad about and disappointed about the celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. Day in remembrance of a great American hero, and are disappointed about that every year. And some set of them decided to create their little white man gun rally. Remember how? Uh, remember the reaction in California, Ronald Reagan's reaction when it was African Americans, when it was Black Californians carrying firearms in the Capitol building. He all of a sudden became a supporter of firearms. Now the uh, gun you rights mean, movement. You mean, you mean firearm restriction? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the that he is. Excuse me. This is a going to be, I, I suspect, I haven't watched it yet, but it seems to me it will be a white identity rally as much as it is a rally about firearms. Yes, it will be. All right, Dad, what do you got next? You said interna international is not a story. International, international uh, is not itself of, an interesting thing. So is there an interesting thing you'd like to talk about? There's a lot about? of international stuff to talk about. First, I want to mention a couple of weeks ago, I, we, we commented on Turkey's agreeing to send troops to Libya and wondering why was Turkey sending troops to Libya. Well, now we know why Turkey is sending troops to Libya. It's because they have entered into a deal with Russia on how to, what to do with the Libyan oil when the Turkish troops get control of some oil in Libya. And uh, Turkey is now buying sophisticated armaments from Russia. They're now entering into a deal to provide Libyan oil to Russia. How in the world do those folks stay in NATO is beyond me. We don't, we generally want to tell people when we're talking about the unimportant stuff we want to say. So this I think is unimportant, but it still gets a whole lot of news. 
Harry and Meghan will. I, I need to say just something about Turkey, which has always been go for has it. always been curious to me, and I did find it's not important. It's not well, it's not very important. The uh, the turkey is known in India in Hindi uh, as uh, as Hindi, which means Indian. It was a guinea fowl that had been imported from India to Turkey. In Turkey, it had been named after the place where the Turks found it, which was India. When European settlers found a similar-looking bird, actually quite different bird, it was named for the bird they already knew. It was popularized in Britain under the name of the place they found it, which was Turkey. So there is a connection between the name of the guinea fowl and the uh, and the country. I've always wondered about that. It's not very important. What's next, Ed? Well, as I was about to say, Harry and Meghan will no longer be called Your Highness. Speaking of things that are uh, only important in a, the reminder that we should abolish the monarchy. That's right. And they're going to have to they're they're going to have to cough up something like three million bucks to pay back for all the perks that they have received. They're no longer HRH. They're no longer His and Her Royal Highness. They don't get HRH anymore. Something that reminds me of how fortunate you and I are to live where we live. And by and that not, we mean Northeast Portland. Northeast Portland, Oregon, the United States of America, and not in a place like Iran, where mm. you can be convicted and sent to jail for years for the crime of suspicion of causing trouble. That's the crime, suspicion of causing That's trouble. some of what you and I try to do we like on a regular basis. Every some would argue morning. that's why x-ray should exist. Another one, criticism of the supreme leader. Holy that is cow. clearly one of the reasons <laughs> x-ray should exist and what oh. you and I do on a weekly basis. Oh. International news that is important are the fires in Australia. Raining in Melbourne last night, so... Coco kept me up a little later than even I otherwise might have been because they had to shut down for a while to close the roof during the Federer match, which Federer won handily. But uh, I am a little suspicious of the seeding of Coco against Venus. How come? I don't want to, I don't want to see. But why, why you don't want it, them to play again? Why is it that there are three African-American women in the 128-member mm -hmm. competition, 128, all United States, and two of them are pitted against each other. Early. Early. Yeah. Well, I think we know the answer, right? Uh, Australia is a racist government. I, I have a different take. I have a different take. And it, and it might be the case. It might be the case. But I could imagine, again, there's all, anytime there's seeding, there's always, there's always a chance of luck. But let's say they put the finger on the scale. Do they finger put the finger on the scale to get rid of one of them, so exactly. one of them have to lose? Or do they put the finger on the scale because they wanted to increase the likelihood they would play? If you wait until the end, like Coco Goff and Venus Williams will be a hugely watched match, a, wa a match that will be watched maybe as much as the final, even if it doesn't happen in the final. So if you have it early, then you can have a much higher likelihood they'll actually play each other, which I think a lot of people in the world want to see. I hope that's the reason. And, of course, it is true. It kept me up until after 11 o'clock There you go. Night. There you go. The, uh, one of the problems with Australia dealing with the fires, which are clearly related to climate change and global warming, is that Rupert Murdoch absolutely dominates the news in Australia. Yep. Just dominates. Mexico. 
Mexico is blocking people at their southern border so that folks who are trying to get out of Guatemala, out of Central America, really? the United States, are not going to be able to get to the U.S. border because 1,500 miles south, they're going to be stopped at the Mexican border. It'd be interesting to see how that comes out. The DDT administration has told the judge that they know exactly the number of children who were separated from their parents. It was not five. It was not 500. It was 4,368. Mm. That's a lot of children to be separated mm. from their parents. Mm. Shame on them. Well, that closer to home, the census begins tomorrow on the edge of America. The first Americans to be counted in the 2020 census, which begins tomorrow, live, do you know where? In Toksuk Bay, Alaska. Don't know where Toksuk Bay is? You and I have been in Alaska together. It is a community of 661. It is on the edge of the American expanse. I think it's just north of Nome, isn't it? You ask me as if I, I mean, first of all, if I had to point to Nome on the map, I would just as soon point to a small elf. The, the, the decennial U.S. census has started in rural Alaska out of tradition and necessity ever since the United States purchased the land from Russia in 1867. Once the spring thaw hits, towns empty as residents scatter traditional hunting and fishing grounds. The frozen ground in January makes it easier to get around by March turns to marsh that's difficult to traverse. You want the frozen ground if you're in Toksuk and you're trying to count the 661 people. Otherwise, how do we know there's 661 people there? Mail service is spotty. The internet connection is unreliable. It makes door-to-door surveying necessary. The rest of the country will begin the census which includes the urban areas of Alaska, like Anchorage, etc. They will start in mid-March. But right now, the census has begun. Toksuk. While we're talking about cold, and before you get me completely away from the international stuff I wanted to cover, might be worth mentioning that the ocean hot blob that developed in 2015 and 16 off North America has, it turns out, killed more than a million birds, especially the common murrah, and a new blob is now forming off Washington, Canada, Southern Alaska. It's kind of scary. The In China, the growth of the chi- Chinese GDP, growth domestic project pro- product, last year was the lowest in 28 years. Which thing was the lowest? The growth of the Chinese GDP. Mm-hmm. The lowest in 28 years, which I think probably is one of the reasons they are entering into a tariff deal But there's a serious question as to whether the claimed $200 billion that China is going to spend is smoke and mirrors because the list of stuff that is being affected doesn't come anywhere close to adding up to a potential $200 billion. You've offered your second story. You've offered your second story that Trump supporters are really happy about. And and I don't just mean I don't just mean the gun rally stuff. I mean the Mexico's southern border stopping. They've been saying, hey, listen, maybe if we do blank and blank and blank, we can get Mexico to stop the surge from coming from the south. And now also that one. Maybe if we uh, talk tough and act tough with China, maybe we can hurt their economy. If we hurt their economy, maybe we'll get better trade deals. Now, before we dive into national, which I want to talk about more, I have a factoid, or actually three factoids. Baby boomers... The, when the baby boomers, those are folks who are married 
right after, who were born rather, right after World War II, reached the median of them, reached the age of 35, which was in 1990. Those baby boomers owned 21% of United States wealth. Now think about that. The baby boomers at the median age 35 owned 21%. Say that again. At age 35, say the fact again. The median age of the baby boomers was 35 in 1990. Yep. In 1990, they owned 21% of United States wealth. Mm-hmm. The Gen X median age at 35 was in 2008. They owned 19% of U.S. wealth. The millennials will not that will not reach the median age of 35 for three more years. So we don't know what it's going to be when they are 35, but we can say what it is when they were 32, which is right now. They own 3.2% of American wealth. If you had any doubt about... That is an amazing factoid. That is an amazing factoid. And we have to wait three years to be able to actually compare it to 21 and 19. Which is, it'll be probably 2.9. No, it'll be more. Why would it be less? Because it's continuing to diminish. The millennial share? No, no, no. The millennial share is as they get older, they'll get more money. We'll see. Well, no. We want to bet now. Okay. Well, well, bet a steak dinner that that they will that from a you know because with the median that means the youngest millennials you know are still in college or you know and uh, uh, the youngest millennials still in graduate school. As they all move into the workforce, as more of them own homes, et cetera, they'll build wealth. So the question would be, do we know at, you know, aged when the three years prior, do we know what in 2005 well, or it, in 1987? It, it ain't going to get from 3.2 to 19. I'll no, because clearly I still, my first reaction was it's an incredible fact. And, and what makes it also incredible, if you compare millennials' wealth with uh, Gen X wealth, there are also more millennials. So what makes it even worse is that the per capita will be even lower. Yes, Go that's ahead. right. Impeachment. The wild card impeachment, in my judgment, is Lev Parnas. They want Bolton to testify. Bolton ought to testify. You, you, you know how old Lev Parnas is? Lev Parnas? You know how old that guy is? I don't know how old he is, but I would guess in his early 60s. Anybody else want to guess? If you want to guess Lev Parnas' age without looking it up, if you want to guess yeah, his no age, you cheating. can text his in. Well, yeah, I mean, if anybody gets it right, you know. But I just would like to know how old you think he is. It's 971-220-5979. 971-220-5979. It's also known as 971-220-KXRY. Daddy's 47. You're kidding. <laughs> He's 47. Kidding anybody, anybody who's in their Holy 40s cow. who's been watching Lev Barnes on the news. He's, is your, he's your age. Don't say that, Dan. <laughs> he's older than I am. Maybe not by as much as I wish. A few months. But he is older. Daddy is older than I am. Why do you keep... But anybody who's in their 40s who's been watching Lev Barnes on TV... Who thought, yeah, that guy's my age? No. If you were in your 40s, you didn't watch Lev Barnes and say, that dude's my age. And you are now horrified. Rachel Maddow scored a real coup by getting the interview with him, and CNN then got a subsequent interview, but he's the wild card. And Dershowitz says, I'd love to be able to cross-examine him, but I think he ought to be called. And that's the, the, the votes over whether or not they're going to be witnesses. It's a big vote. 
big vote and will really tell us how firm Mitch McConnell's iron grip is on his caucus yep. in keeping them subservient to the despicable man in the White House. If you're Cory Gardner, Cory Gardner, one of the seats Democrats must win if he was current Republican uh, and running in Colorado and serving in Colorado. If you were Cory Gardner and you were uh, and you knew that you had you were going to have to be the fourth vote. OK, like it's one thing if you knew you were going to be the 10th or 20th vote. But the fourth vote it's is another a big thing. Deal. It's another thing if you knew you're going to be the only or like one of two votes. So it actually, so Mitch McConnell might even let you do it, right? He might say, "Oh yeah, go and vote how you want to. We don't need your vote." Goes back to your goes back to your Susan Collins line. You always have a vote when you don't need it. But the fourth vote, if you're Cory Gardner, what do you do? <laughs> well, if you're Cory Gardner, you probably don't get elected as a Republican from Colorado. But set that aside for a moment. What would you do? What you do is you relook yourself in the mirror and decide. Am I out for the country, or am I out to make sure that Mitch McConnell doesn't punish me and that I might get beat? And I don't know what his integrity will drive him to do. But looking at all of his contemporaries and the Republican caucus in the Senate, it's not very hopeful. Got a text in here that his left part is 75 but looks 60. <laughs> 47. Born in 1972. 47 and looks 62. He looks ageless as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> the Ag Department, that is the Department of Agriculture of the United States of America, has decided, or at least is proposing rules which they would like to have adopted, that school children really don't need so much fruit and vegetables. It's okay to just let them have French fries. Oh, they boy. and they got rid of they got rid of Michelle Obama's uh, obesity stuff on her birthday because and and it and I'm not saying this clutching my pearls I'm not saying this with anger I'm just saying this to help remind us that the movement that has taken over the country and the movement that controls this presidency and the movement this presidency now controls is a movement of trolls that is the that is the culture that is its essence is to own the libs that's its whole deal but by the way you are listening to X-ray FM KXY Portland KQAC HD3 Portland 107.1 91.1 FM streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. You are listening to news of my dad. That's my dad. I'm Jeff. You're you. Happy Martin Luther King Day. Do something other than just shopping, I don't know, for bed sheets, which is kind of racist if you think about it. Do something good for your community if you can. Scanner Breakfast is happening right now. Find something useful to do today. And now it is time for election news. Dad, the New York Times came out with it's an endorsement. And they, they who, sort do, of who, punted. I, I do not view this as a punt at all. <laughs> what did you, when I said, so last night I was with some people, and we had just said, we went around and said who people's first to last choice was for the Democratic primary. And, uh, and then right after that conversation, within minutes of that conversation, I got an alert on my phone that said New York Times has endorsed a candidate for, uh, is endorsed, excuse me, uh, in the presidential candidacy in the Democratic primary. And I asked people who they thought, and they made their various predictions. Did you have any prediction? Yes. Who did you think they would I endorse? I predicted Elizabeth Warren. I was half right. So they have endorsed both Senator Warren and Amy Klobuchar. Writing in its editorial, its decision to endorse two candidates is a break with convention. 
intended to address the radical and realist models presented to voters by the 2020 Democratic field, noting that some would be dissatisfied that it wouldn't be throwing its weight behind a single candidate favoring centrists or progressives. The board's deliberation were for the first time documented on TV in an episode on The Weekly, their documentary TV series. Uh, Dad, I found it very interesting. And what was, what was interesting is when we went around in my little group, I actually said for the very first time, it had never even dawned on me until it was asked, I said Klobuchar might be my second favorite candidate. For up to now, it's always been Bernie or Bernie. Klobuchar might be, and I know that's ridiculous. Anybody who know, you know, might think I'm just absolutely ridiculous about this. But recognize, I think that someone's policy viewpoints over the next two years, maybe we'll see if they're eight, but anybody who thinks that Bernie Sanders is serving for two terms when, he, when he's going to turn 80 in his first year in office, okay? The, uh, he, he's not going to be, he's not gonna, I don't think he's going to be like president at 84 years old. The 83? Uh, it would be when he'd start his second term. So, uh, are, and and I feel tell, the same way about are you, are you, Biden. Are you saying that I'm too old to be president of the United States? Yes. Let me ask you: Do you think you're too old to be president of the United States? <laughs> Probably. Okay. <laughs> what I'll say is, most octogenarians I know think they're too old to be president of the United States. But I only think of that because I think people would think of that. <laughs> oh, really? You think you're still down? Yeah, I, th- I think you I think you got plenty of energy to do the I job. I think I have the energy to do the job. Nice. Well, that's good. <laughs> Hey, well, we should, I, I we get, should reform I get, here I get pretty well. Five o'clock in the morning, to prepare for this program. Maybe that's just way too ageist of me. But anyhow, I, it just dawned on. But I think that uh, I, I don't know. I think Klobuchar might actually be pretty good. And I actually said for me, you know, it was, and I did come on this show and talk about who I wanted. But for me, it's like war, and and then you know, dash, dash, dash. And everybody else is kind of a tie, right? Then after that, basically, my priority is the U.S. Senate. My priority is the state legislature, and my priority is not having Donald Trump at the White House. That's my priority. But anyway. Was this surprise you they endorsed both of them? The good news yes. about it is it says, listen, we need a woman president, which, by the way, there's at least a couple people who agree with that. I'm one of them. And that clearly was the governing factor. Or at least a governing factor. I, I don't I, think the only I, one. I, I, Temperament I was a big one. I would have loved to have been a, a mouse in the corner listening to the debate in the, in the editorial room, boardroom of the New York Times. Do you think this endorsement... Bernie, do, do, go ahead with your question, and then I'll say what I was going to say. Is it on this topic, or can you change the Still subject from New York, New York Times endorsement? Uh, do you think that this endorsement matters? Not a heck of a lot. Really? Not a heck. Make of, your not, case. Not a heck of a lot. What it will matter to this extent? It will influence other editorial boards, and as other editorial boards make their decision, if they follow that lead and endorse one or the other or both of them. That will have some significance. But their big readership, while the New York Times gets readership around the country, their big readership is in New York. And there ain't no question who's going to get the electoral votes of New York. I think, for me, I think this one might matter. And the reason I think it might matter is because I think there's a lot of voters in flux. I think there's a lot of voters who are sort of, I don't know, and the and the candidates are also really close. These top five, top four, we'll see if it really matters for Klobuchar to get her in a top five uh, rather than there being sort of a top four plus Klobuchar. But the uh, I think it'll matter for a couple of reasons. For one, I think it might remind a bunch of voters that having a woman can't, a woman president for the first time in our nation's history actually does matter. Just because Hillary Clinton won the nomination, just because Hillary Clinton got more votes than Donald Trump, she didn't get to serve as president. We still not had one president. We did not check that. We did not check that important historical benchmark. We haven't done India, that. Yet. India has had a woman prime minister. Britain has had. A it's prime it's shameful to me that Germany, Great Britain did it before us. Germany. Has they, had. they still have kings. <laughs> 
Germany Germany was a Nazi country. They had it it before us. It's embarrassing. Uh So it still really matters. Talking about endorsements, Bernie Sanders got... That's not a New York Times endorsement story. But but it could be more significant. He picked up the endorsement of the leader of the Progressive Caucus in the Congress. That was the next story. Before we go to the next story, the other reason I think it could matter, I think the New York Times endorsement could matter, is that if it uh, boosts Klobuchar in the minds of some New York Times readers who said, okay, I get it. We ought to have, and they made a big case about temperament, about the ability to compromise, about the ability not not to sacrifice, sell off one's values, but in fact to work with other people, etc. And saying that these, and also they actually did make the case about age. Uh, I had not done the arithmetic on Bernie's age during his first year in office uh, until until that editorial, but the but if Globachar can boost her votes in the moderate among moderate voters versus Buttigieg and uh, and Joe Biden, that actually might change the math, which could either help Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. But yeah, uh, Pramila Jayapal, co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, did endorse Bernie Sanders. He now has the backing of both of the co-chairs of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, including Mark Pocan. Uh, also, of course, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ellen Omar, and Rashida Tlaib. Uh, the uh, so yes, that's a that's big endorsement news on the Bernie Sanders side. Any other, anything else on national? Oh, I got stuff? I got election news. I still okay. got election news. In okay. fact, I should probably say to Joey, election news. Now, what we now also know is that Joe Walsh and Bill Weld are probably not going to become president of the United States. Particularly because more and more states are not even going to allow them to get They're not going to have them on the ballot. They're not going to be on the ballot at all. They're not going to have them on the ballot. And this is a this is effectively turning the Republican uh, turning the Republican primary into uh, sort of a sham. Uh, and no, just not a, sort of. There's no sort of into a sham. It also demonstrates. It, it, I, I think one thing it demonstrates is that the chimera. That so many. In fact, I remember going to the League of Conservation Voters dinner in Oregon. We we all would, you know, preach and sing and pray to the memory of Tom McCall. And in the Oregon legislature, preach and sing and pray to the memory of Mark Hatfield. This idea of the moderate or even progressive Republican, which has been overstated in the case of Tom McCall and overstated in the case of Mark Hatfield, to be sure. But the uh, but it is now more obviously a chimera. The challenge is that mythology impacted Joe Walsh's thoughts, impacted Bill Weld's thoughts when they thought they'd run for president. I think they still think, oh no, there are a bunch of Republican voters that are that, that I know in the country club. There are a bunch of Republican Party voters who who think that Donald Trump is distasteful. He's not their kind of rich guy. He's not their kind of Republican. And I've talked to so many of these people in the sauna at the New York Athletic Club, or wherever the heck they go, that I just know that I'll have a bunch of support. Reading a song in New York Times. Well, it turns out there's not a whole bunch of those people. I mean, I mean, at least not enough in positions of power to make sure that they can get on the ballot in those states. So those are the two things that came away with me. 
Here are a couple other things. Rolling Stone article that's worth reading. Hackers are coming for the 2020 election, and we are not ready. The threats to our elections are more sophisticated and widespread than ever. That will be an ongoing topic here, and we'll get into it more. Uh, Related to the Vox article, and thanks to Sean Swaggerty for posting this one, uh, flood the zone with S. Now, they did not spell it with S. They added three other letters to it. How misinformation overwhelmed our democracy. The uh, uh, And the c- combination of those two things, really understanding that if you can flood the zone with garbage, if you can flood the zone with garbage, you can change the subject. And that means that the impeachment trial won't change a lot of minds. And one of the reasons is a bunch of those minds that might be changed to be in favor of impeachment or at least questioning it will have the zone flooded with garbage. They won't just see it. And remember, for folks who used to, when I used to do this, I stopped doing it as much, but I used to post on my own Twitter article. I would take a screenshot. They changed to Apple News. You know, my like iPhone fed me little news stories. I used to have this thing where it gave me four stories, right? Give me four stories. And inevitably on a big news day, on a big news day in particular that was contra to the president, something like, you know, Robert Mueller tabbed to be the head of investigation against Trump, something about some new piece of evidence, some big thing. New York Times does uh, does expose on Donald Trump family's tax fraud over the decades. And I would look at these four stories and you'd have like CNN and have something about that. Right. It have it have the New York Times, maybe some, you know, sort of angle on that. Right. I must see some angle on that. And then Fox News. And what I thought before I did this exercise, the Fox News thing would be something like, oh, uh, bad story untrue or, you know, some sort of partisan take. But there would be no story at all. No, it'd be like, here's boobs. Yeah. You know, it's like, here's a dog that ate a kid. It'd be like, totally like, isn't isn't pizza good? It'd be some totally off topic, just flooding the zone with garbage. And I realized, oh, I get it. It's just a different game. They're not playing the same game and for a different team. They're trying to make us play a totally different game, which is not the game of democracy. It's a game of distraction. It's a game of entertainment. It's a game that allows oligarchs to run stuff. It's just an entirely different sort of deal. Yep. Dad, Amy Klobuchar, of course, yes, and Elizabeth Warren, the New York Times endorsement. They listed in that order, interestingly. Here is the ad spending numbers. You haven't, you want to make any guesses? I just, have, I'm almost done. Just a couple more things. But Sean Spiker posted some good stuff. Uh, the, uh, you want to make any guess who's spent the most on on in on the Democratic primary? Actually, period. Who spent the in most in 2020? And just in 2020. Yeah. 2020, by the way, since, since January 1st has not been around very long. It's been around for not 20 days. Not quite three weeks. Right. Okay. Bloomberg. How much do you think Mike Bloomberg has spent? Well, he's 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 already, and I assume he had to give the money up front. Of course, he may have written the check before the 1st of January, so I don't know about that. But he's already spent something like $10 million bucks on the Super Bowl. He has spent $235 million <laughs> oh, in 2020. 2020 has not been around very long. Okay. Oh. Guess new number two is. I bet you can guess number two. Probably Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer. Guess how much? <laughs> Less. I gave you one number. $30 million. $149 million. Holy cow. Let me tell you, for $149 million, like, like well, you can play that, wow, that's a lot game a lot of times. And people do it with campaigns. Oh, if you spent this money on campaigns on something else. But if what you're trying to do was save democracy. If you took 10 state legislatures... And just averages fourteen million apiece. 
Yeah. You, what if you flip five of them? Oh, wow. Right? Or what if you created, what if you strengthened, what if you did what George Soros did? What if you created a Bloomberg Foundation for the preservation and advancement of democracy and you seeded it with a billion dollars? You'd all of a sudden become one of the most influential uh, foundations in all of democracy, right? If you just did that. And, St- and Steyer, could, Steyer could do the same thing with $250 million, $400 million. Now, like a million dollars doesn't do it. But to be clear, like, oh, it's just, it boggles my mind. All right, Donald Trump is third at $41 million, and which is but a big the, drop off. But that wasn't Donald Trump's money. Yeah, maybe you're right. Well, there's no, none of that. Oh, yeah, no, Donald no, Trump's fair money. point. Oh, yeah, not Donald Trump's money. And, and this isn't money from the rest of these people. Bloomberg and Steyer, we understand it's their money. Right, but uh, the, the Trump money is from suckers out there who are giving in $5 and $10 and $100. Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders have spent the next most. $26 million for Buttigieg, $24 million for Sanders. Then there's another big gap, uh, and way down, uh, Elizabeth Warren has spent $15 million. So one of the stories is we've seen poll numbers change, Okay, as we've seen like some folks move up in the polls, for instance. With Steyer and Bloomberg, it's really obvious. They've spent a bunch of ad money. But make no, no mistake, Buttigieg and Buttigieg, excuse me, and Sanders have or have also spent you know uh, a quarter of a hundred million dollars. There's not a fancy name for that that I know of. Uh, Elizabeth Warren down from that you know ten million dollars less than them, fifteen million. Andrew Yang has spent eleven million. Joe Biden has spent nine million. Interesting. Joe Biden hasn't. It, it, one thing about having lived a life in politics and having been Barack Obama's vice president, you don't have to spend as much money to let people know who the heck you are. You start with a very high name familiarity, which is the the threshold that is absolutely necessary. And then Klobuchar spent six million. Tulsi Gabbard spent th- excuse me six point eight million. I, you know, eight hundred thousand dollars is still a lot of money to me. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard spent three point seven million dollars, and Bennett Dad has spent one point five million dollars, uh, which is probably all his. I don't. No, no, no. Bennett's not rich, I guess is he? Not. No, I think no, Bennett's I, got contributors. No, that, that, Bennett isn't the rich one. It's Delaney that has, there you go. The, has the bucks. There you go. And Delaney isn't spending a lot of his money. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what Delaney's up to. I find it interesting. Yeah, the dynamics of how Cory Booker and Kamala Harris drop out, and Delaney's like, "I got this, man. I'm staying in." You might things might change. All the other all the other candidates at Wall Street are like they might drop out. I might be the next guy. The cha- January poll results, uh, Dad. The in rural America, in rural America, if you were going to look at the top five candidates, what do you think? How would you rank the top five candidates in rural America? This is, by the way, we don't have a chime for this yet. This is this week in charts. Okay, this weekend charts. I'll put it up close to the microphone. If you were going to look at the presidential candidates' top five, uh, who would you think they were in order? Uh, and you're talking about just Democrats. Just yes, just Democrats in rural America. And in rural America or Oregon? Rural America. Rural America. I would guess Bernie would be first. Okay, you, that is not correct. Bernie is fourth. Holy. Yeah, smoke. that's the big interesting thing to me Buttigieg. too. Buttigieg. Buttigieg is third. Well, I'm just—I think I'm going to have to punt on this one and ask you. Who would you keep going? This is a fine way to get through the information. Wow. Well, name familiarity. Biden. Biden. Biden is Biden is number one. Mm -hmm. Now, who do you think is number two? Okay, number two. Probably Warren. Yep. Elizabeth Warren. But not just name familiarity. It's interesting. She and in fact, she has jumped up. She started out very low. In fact, I would say it wasn't name familiarity because. In the chart that I can see, and that if you look really close to your microphone, 
you won't be able to see, is that she was actually lower, and she started out not as strong, but had but at one point even got into the into the low twenties, and and at one point briefly passed Biden, but is twenty four Biden, eighteen uh, Warren, sixteen Buttigieg, fourteen Sanders, and eleven Klobuchar, Ele- uh, Klobuchar and Warren both outperforming their overall national performance in rural in rural America, right? Which I just find kind of interesting. That is interesting. I think that might also be, because I have a suspicion, which could be wrong, but I have a suspicion that on average rural America pays a little bit more attention. Maybe the, maybe because they have fewer distractions. Yep. But, but I don't know that. You're listening to X-Ray, text in, I agree with you, woman president, Klobuchar isn't the right choice. And they plugged for Bernie and said that eventually Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez will be president. We don't need any woman as a president. We need the right woman. I hear what you have to say. The text line is 971-220-5979, 971-220-5979. Dad, the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, made a trade. Trevor Ariza is now a Portland Trailblazer. But the, to be clear, the trade was made for money. Yep, to save the money. Yeah, to save money, lower in the tax. Uh, I believe it should be time now. Is there anything before we get to the quick six that is just burning in your brain? Yes. Go ahead. Two things that the Supreme Court is going to be looking at, which we will know about probably before the Oregon primary, First, they are going to rule on whether or not a member of the Electoral College must cast his or her vote according to how his or her state voted in the election, whether or not there is discretion. And this is going to be a really, really interesting case because if you look at the Constitution, it was clear that the founders of the writers of the Constitution anticipated that the people who would be elected in states, the people that you would vote for in states, you would not be voting for a presidential candidate. You would be voting for someone who you might personally know who is going to be among the small group of men, and in those days it was clearly only men, who were going to pick the president. And if you'd look at that, then you'd have to say the Supreme Court is going to rule unanimously that no, you cannot limit the discretion. But now the states do not have the names of the Electoral College candidates on the ballot at all. The only name on the ballot is the presidential candidate. And so that gives a legitimate argument to say, well, no, you can't give them discretion because people don't know that they are voting for those. But that's going to be really interesting. And the other case they have agreed to hear is whether or not businesses have the right to opt out of providing coverage for contraception to their employees. I predict that that's going to be a 5-4 to four vote saying that businesses do have the right to opt out, but we'll see. But as to where the where the court is going to come down on the Electoral College. I'm going to wait and see on that one. All right, Dad. Well, I think we ought to. In just a moment, let me see if there's anything else that we, anything else we missed. By the way, SpaceX has launched a test 
uh, abort systems to keep astronauts safe. And it worked. They, they had to destroy a rocket to do it, but it appeared to work, which is good. I'd rather be promoting. Oh, and by the way, did you see the Space Force came out with their uniforms? No. Space Force came out with their uniforms. They're, uh, they're green camouflage. <laughs> You know what there isn't a lot of in space? <laughs> Trees, shrubs, bushes. Oh, what are you going to hide behind? Oh, Maybe goodness. Martians. Maybe it's because Martians are green and they want to be able to blend in. A couple of other natural things. You don't want to talk further? Couple of other I, 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 want, I want to talk further about the color of the uniforms this of the Space Force. This, folks, is one of those unimportant things. I think it's very important <laughs> because I've actually been thinking about this. And, and what I think about is... What other that what color do you think the Space Force uniform should have been? Blue. How come? Well, because blue or black, because once you get out into space, it's all black. Black with flecks, flecks of silver. Blue with flecks of silver. Yep. <laughs> My wife thought they should it should have been it should have been black with white with white dots. Well, that's that's, that's the same thing she's saying. But but you just see space as blue. Well, from here it looks blue, but if you get out there, it's black with little white dots, <laughs> That's what, and, and one fairly big one. There's a there was a Legion of Superheroes costume. Uh, the uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Tom Kalor. What, what did he was he? It wasn't Gravity Man. I forget what. It was. Oh, Starman. Starman in Legion of Superheroes. That was what his uniform was. It was black and with little white dots. It looked like stars. But here's the problem: that I think if they would have made that uniform, it would. People would have laughed at the Space Force even more than we're laughing. Because at least anybody else sees a Space Force camouflage uniform, they say, oh, I guess that's a military thing. But it's actually walking around Starman's uniform, not from the uh, not from the movie, but from the Legion of Superheroes comic books. Oh, well, Dad, what, you, you want to talk about away, something Before important. we get away from National News, a couple of important things. DDT is trying to steal another $7 billion for his wall. i got to think that at some point the courts just got to say, this has to stop. Nine states are letting private prisons charge their inmates per minute for the use of an e-reader, a Kindle, and per minute for video con uh, conferencing. There's now a bipartisan bill in Congress to forbid states doing that. Question is, if it passes the House, which it probably will, will Mitch just add it to the backlog that he is collecting so that they can say Congress is doing nothing. The, I, I will confess, this is a piece of unimportant news, but it is kind of fun. In Kansas, David Ostrom is in a divorce fight, and he has filed a motion with the court to ask the court to order the parties to settle the case with samurai swords and said that he will, he needs a continuance to obtain the samurai for, swords and his wife can be represented by his wife's lawyer because that's who he really wants to kill. I suspect the court is not going to grant that motion, but kind of fun. And while we're talking about court news, regional area, what is the House of Representatives in the state of Washington going to do with Matt Shea? We'll see. Remind us, Matt Shea. Matt Shea is the representative from the Spokane area where I lived 
one time for five months, meeting many, many, many people who lived in and around the Spokane area, who is the the far rightest of the rightest, and who an independent investigation confirmed was really involved with white terrorists. And he says he's not going to resign, and the caucuses said they're not going to allow him to participate in the caucus, but will they throw him out of the legislature? We'll see. Well, Dad, I believe it is time for the Quick Six. I think so. And now it is time for today's Quick Six Local Rundown. I'm Jefferson Smith. It is Monday, January 20th. Multnomah County Commissioners voted to appoint Akasha Lawrence Spence as their replacement for former State Representative Jennifer Williamson. Williamson resigned in December to run for Oregon Secretary of State. Lawrence Spence will serve out Williamson's term through December, representing House District 36. House District 36 encompasses downtown Portland and some of the West Hills. Lawrence Spence serves on a Planning and Sustainability Commission for the City of Portland. She's a founder of real estate development firm, helped establish Melanated Women of Color Collective in Portland, will be one of two African-American women in the legislature. She joins Representative Janelle Bynum, Democrat of Clackamas County, who has been here from Clackamas, excuse me, and who serves in the State House and has been on the show more than one time. Number of candidates seeking the Portland City Council seat left open by late Commissioner Nick Fish. Rest in peace keeps growing, including Loretta Smith and Sam Chase. Former Multnomah County Commissioner Loretta Smith filed Thursday to run for the seat. She's one of six to notify the city's election office of plans to run for the position. Loretta Smith ran unsuccessfully the Portland City Council more recently against Joanne Hardesty in 2018. Ryan Farmer dropped off his filing on Thursday for local activists. Also filed this week, according to the auditor's office, Julia DeGraw, Robin Castro, Margot Black, Diana Goodman, Metro Councilor Sam Chase announced Thursday afternoon he plans to run for the seat as well, though he has yet to file. I believe that would make seven. The special election will coincide with the regular May 2020 primary. Candidates have until March 10th to file. And a climate lawsuit led by University of Oregon student and other youth activists got bad news last week after five years of legal fighting. The appeals court in Portland dismissed the case, arguing that climate policy should be set by elected officials, not by a court case. The decision can still be appealed, but last week's ruling makes the case more of a long shot. It, it was a two to one. It was a two to one ruling. The scanner. Portland-based newspaper serving the African-American community announced on Thursday it would be retiring its print edition. The newspaper will instead be shifting to online only. The paper started in Portland in 1975. The Seattle Scanner began publishing in 1981. Organized an official annual celebration on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, the Scanner Foundation Scholarships Breakfast, or just known as the Scanner Breakfast, given more than $450,000 to 350 students since 1996 with the help of corporate and community partners. The paper said founders do not plan on retiring. Its foundation and scholarship breakfast will also continue. And Oregon House Speaker Tina Kotek said the state needs to move more aggressively to implement tolls on the region's entire freeway network. Cost for the I-5 widening project near Portland's Rose Center is threatening to double in cost. No surprise here. Tina Kotek said we have to take this seriously, argued lawmakers. They need to come up with more money for this and other highway expansion projects. 
to avoid taking from other highway projects. Kotek made a declaration of meeting with reporters previewing the legislative session that starts February 3rd. And State Representative Lisa Kenny Guy, a friend of the show, announced on Thursday she would not seek re-election in 2020. She has served House District 46, which includes portions of Northeast and Southeast Portland since 2011, the 18th member of the legislature to announce a departure for later this year. The next session begins Monday, February 3rd. As I said, she chairs the House Committee on Human Services and Housing. Her term expires in January. And you and I were there when she was deciding to run. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Well, Dad, do we suppose we'll see a return of the other candidates that were considered in the May primary? Do you think that the new, the person who was picked will will just sort of clear the field? How do you think that the appointment of Akasha Lawrence Spence impacts the election? Well, she does have the right now to call herself the representative. So in her voters pamphlet, she will be the incumbent. She can put out literature saying keep and retain and return, which the other candidates have. And I think Virtually all election experts agree that that is a very, very powerful advantage. I left out a really important piece, an enormously important piece in the Quick Six that I didn't get in there, which is while she will serve out the rest of the term, she will only serve in the interim. So she's not actually running. She and Chris Beck were the placeholder candidates. Uh, it, rather than picking rather than picking Chris Beck, uh, who had served before, they decided to give someone new a chance and add the second after so she's woman. not going to she's run? She's not running again. Oh, that's hugely significant. Yeah, I know. I should have had that in the story. <laughs> that's hugely significant. That means that it, it, it will have no influence at all. The, uh, and so what we will still see is, uh, and, and we will be covering this race and we'll be interviewing the candidates, uh, we'll be interviewing the candidates uh, for that race. Uh, that with six candidates running for uh, Nick Fish's seat, will there be and more, maybe seven? And maybe seven. Uh, does this give you more enlightenment about why Sam Adams decided to run against Chloe Daly? <laughs> Absolutely. Chloe Daly, in her comments right afterwards, said, "This doesn't make any sense. I just had dinner with the guy. Uh, you know, he was having dinner with me, and then right after, just decided to shiv me or try to try to run." That, 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 that reminds me of the guy who availed himself of our hospitality at a Democratic National meeting in Jackson Hole just a, a week before he declared his candidacy to oppose my wife as chair of the Democratic Party. <laughs> was that Mac Pritchard? Yes, it was. <laughs> I figured. So the good guy, by the way, former board member of the Bus Project, good friend, runs Mac's list. But it would have been it would have been good for him to give us some inkling that that was on his. Well, mind. he might, you know, he, he kind of <laughs> wanted a place to stay. He wanted to make sure he had a place to stay. But he didn't want Airbnb wasn't as big a deal back then, Dad. You needed to you needed to get what you could get. Oh. Uh, there was discussion. We had some discussion. Just want to remind people, and maybe you'd miss that show. How could you have possibly? Uh, how come we did some analysis here on why Sam Adams picked the race against? He surprised a lot of people. Surprised a lot of people. But why, in retrospect? But because he makes thought a ton Sam of sense. Chase was probably going to run for fish, and he thought Loretta Smith was probably going to run for fish, and. This way, he will be the one candidate on that slate that has by far the biggest name familiarity. 
the there is a you had said when I asked this question when it first came up you had pointed out the timeline that it might be that he likes the uh, the longer timeline to run and might and then I added it also might be he likes the makeup of the full general electorate the electorate in August for uh, for Nick Fish's seat well, for that, that special that, election that's my point about the timeline that he he believes that the bigger crowd is. Right. favorable to him because the folks in August will be the people who pay the most attention and the people who pay the most attention will be the ones who have the best memory about what he did and 12 ad- years ago. And in addition to picking the timeline, he picked the opponent. And I, I assume, I said this then, I'll say this again, I assume what happened, you know, he was calling around and, and saying, I'm thinking about getting back into politics, thinking about running for office, and I assume a number of people said, well, why don't you run against Chloe? Because she's a and she then said this something. She did yeah, because they're mad at her. Yep. Right? And the and then that made him realize also, maybe not maybe thought about it already. Ooh, that it had he, get money. Yeah, that helps him in the endorsement game, helps him in the fundraising game significantly. Yep. If it is a tougher thing to do. Again, it's just maybe a corollary, just a a, a, a subset of picking one's opponent. Of but course, also if, if the Supreme Court if the Supreme Court decides to change Oregon law on financing on limits of contributions so that the Portland, Oregon law goes back into effect, that may not be as important. The uh, the other thing to consider when he's oh, I lost my train of thought. Uh, when uh, the other piece of Sam's decision is that if oh yeah in the dynamic I think that it becomes uh, not merely referendum on Sam if it's him and a crowded field uh, in an open seat I think a lot of the question becomes about Sam Adams but now it would also be a referendum on Chloe U Daly right and I think and that changes the dynamic made, significantly a lot of people pissed at her uh, the uh, dad so anything else on that otherwise I want to go to the toll story. Uh, what do you th- what do you think about tolls? What do you think about uh, the Speaker of the House Tina Kotek announcing that we need uh, we need a lot more tolls so you can raise a bunch of money because because the I five expansion will be twice as expensive as they thought and the Clumber River crossing you know that's going to be real expensive too. If the tolls if the tolls relate to time of day, and more important if the tolls particularly on the crossing relate to the number of people in the vehicle. I'm all for it. If you're just talking about tolls across the board, that really hurts people of low income, and I'm less salubrious about that. My, uh, yeah, Mike, I have, do have the concern that toll, I mean, tolls are aggressive, and I think that a lot of Pagovian taxes, taxes based on use, are progressive. I still tend to be in favor of Pagovian taxes, particularly if you use, you know, like a green tax, classic Pagovian tax, if you, cigarette tax, classic Pagovian tax. Uh, if you use the revenue for that stuff in a progressive way, I still think that's progressive stuff. That said, it does seem absurd to me that they'll end. You know, they'll need to probably toll 205 in order to fund. And because if they don't, it's going to push a ton of traffic over Absolutely. to 205. All it does is just move them five miles east. And so all of a sudden, you're going to have some of the poorer residents of our state, some of the poorer residents of our community, getting their fees jacked up so they can pay for an enormous highway expansion, primarily for Vancouver commuters. And something I've been talking about for at least 35 years when I wrote a fairly long paper on it, is whenever you're taxing, whether it's a tax or a toll, since inevitably 
you will be influencing behavior. You can't help it. So since you can't help it, when you impose the tax or when you impose the toll, you should have in mind what behavior is this going to encourage or discourage. And so with tolls, the reason you want to have tolls that relate to time of day and number of people in the car is it encourages people to look for other people to share their ride with them so that diminishes the number of people the the toll that you have to pay maybe eliminates the toll you have to pay and it encourages people who do not have to travel at the high traffic time of day to travel at a different time of day and those are the behaviors you want to encourage and if you did here's the other my other quick take bouncing from that that if Tina Kotek and the House did impose tolls and did impose uh, congestion pricing, it might impact the need to expand the highway. Exactly, exactly. If all of a sudden you raise the average number of people in vehicles crossing the Columbia River in the morning from an average of 1.1 or 1.2 people to two or even two and a half people, you would suddenly cut the traffic in half. You're listening to X-Ray. We appreciate you doing that. This is News with My Dad. I'm Jefferson Smith. Dad, I want to do just a little bit of sausage making. Uh, the about... Oh, here we go. Fresh meats in a grinder. The ground meat falls into a collection tub, which then deposits the meats into a mixer. The, uh, as they say, you know, people like the sausage, they might not know, want to know what uh, it took to create that sausage. Just to uh, explain the politics of big highway expansions. This is in significant part a result of there being no environmentalists. And I, by the way, did not just exaggerate. No environmentalists in the Republican caucuses in Oregon. Not one. When there was, uh, in, in the days of Tom McCall, there were people who said, you know, it was news reporting that said that the um, that the environmental organizations were the most powerful lobby organizations in the state, that they could block stuff, that they could get stuff to happen. And there was a Nancy Riles. And it mattered. And one of the reasons that was because you had Republicans who were environmentalists. The original Republic, the original environmentalist president was Teddy Roosevelt, a Republican president. That is not the case anymore. If you look at the League of Conservation Voters scorecard, you can't find a Republican. And I didn't look at their most recent scorecard, uh, but if, but I'll eat my hat, which I don't have with me, if I'm wrong. There hasn't been, there hasn't been a Republican who got 50 percent on the League of Conservation scorecard. For a long, long, long time. I remember when a guy in, in Washington County uh, got in the 40s and was viewed, you know, was viewed as a Republican environmental hero. It's just been an entire, entire cleavage. So what that means is now the business lobbyists can get the uh, the Republicans. The building trades uh, can get labor, and then building trades get labor. Labor gets the Democrats. Business helps get Democrats, uh, and then all of a sudden you've got bicameral, or you know, by well, yes, bicameral, but also bipartisan support for, for more money for more highways for big money for big highways. Yep. And w- whereas you'd think there could be a green tea coalition, the folk, you know, sort of the environmentalists who are Democrats, 
and uh, fiscal hawks who are Republicans said, you know, maybe an additional multiple billions of dollars for this isn't the smartest way we can spend our money. But that's just a little bit of connecting the political dots. Tina Kotek's rise to power in the House, significantly supported by the building trades. And part of that deal has been her advocacy for big, big projects. Part of my disappointment is there hasn't been uh, hasn't been enough early work and uh, and advocacy to say, oh yeah, you know what? Instead of what she's proposing is tolls on all the highways in Portland, so that including in the poorest neighborhoods, they get their fees jacked up, so that, you know that we can help people commute to Washington County. That instead say, hey, what if we and what if we use our transportation money for uh, earthquake? safety for Oregon bridges around the state. I think it'd be a better political program. I think it'd be a better, I think it'd be just as good an economic program. And, uh, but that plan isn't hatched and you don't have all of the entrenched business interests who are already lined up to try to do that thing. And they've been working on that thing for, you know, over a decade. Anyway, pop, what else you got I in got our hometown? I, I, well, this is not our hometown, but oh, I'm well. just, this is a thing I've got to talk about briefly. Some researchers at Tuft University have created what they call the Xanabotic, spelled with an X, which is a robot made out of the skin and heart cells of clawed frogs that can walk and heal themselves. Now, that's really very interesting. They're, they virtually have created life. Local news we've got. I got Jeremy. a good one, by the way. I got a good I got a good. You go first, but I just want to give a tease. I got a good one from Kate Kay, who's posted in Red Tail Media. She, she had an, a show on X-Ray. She's now been based in Buffalo, New York. She's been a journalist who's done some work with X-Ray. I'm hoping she'll be doing more work with X-Ray. She has got a really interesting story that I'm going to share right after you go. Okay, well, I just want to comment that Jeremy Christian is finally going to trial 32 months after the crime was committed that he is alleged to have committed. And I guess there's no question that he committed it. This is the reason is why and how, and not even how. And, and, and they say it's going to take five weeks. And, and I just, I do not understand that because this, that trial... If it was before Judge William Wells, who was the presiding judge in Umatilla County when I was district attorney, that trial, would, no way it would have taken more than five days. Just no way. And that trial would have come to trial two years ago. No question about it. And I don't understand why it has to take so long. It's because of the Internet. Oh wow! Probably so anyway, that so we're finally we're finding it, and the the jury is going to get an opportunity to ride on the max where the crime was committed. Dad, what do you think about facial recognition? How do you feel about facial recognition cameras? Does Seattle, it make, do they make you nervous? It makes me a little bit nervous. Seattle has decided that they are not going to allow it at SeaTac. Of course, that doesn't affect the ability of the federal government to use it for international travel travelers because they don't control that but I have I don't know if it's an ambivalence it looks to me like it is a very useful investigative tool as long as 
one recognizes the risk of mistake and that you don't do any charges directly from the facial recognition, Makes but you nervous. use it as an ability to enhance your investigation to see if you can find an individual. So it, it makes me nervous because I'm afraid people will think it's a it's the, it's the per, perfect answer to everything, just as once upon a time we thought fingerprints were the perfect answer to everything, until the Federal Bureau of Investigation investigated and arrested a Portland lawyer, and just having more folks who've been or having more folks with data that tracks where we are and where we go. Not only not only with private oligarchies, but also with the government. I don't know. Makes me nervous. But here is I do know it makes me nervous. Here's the story from Kate K. So there was an Oregonian, uh, there was an Oregonian editorial, Oregonian uh, opinion column. From a think tank called Information Technology and Innovation Foundation, and it said we shouldn't, you know, ban first and ask questions later. It was arguing against banning facial recognition technology, essentially arguing in favor of allowing facial recognition technology. Well, it turns out that the board members of this organization are lobbyists from Amazon, Microsoft, and facial recognition developers that would benefit from the proliferation of the technology. <laughs> they cite their own research in order to make their case that you shouldn't ban it. The research of which was not set out to discover but to prove. And the interpretation of that research is questionable. And the article indicates many in government and corporate tech circles are watching Portland closely and aim to influence the conversation about around a potential ban. So there is. So right now we got the big kids swooping in, uh, you know, under cover of found end quotes foundation in order to and then go into the Oregonian and write an article. Meanwhile, that's how policymaking sometimes happens, folks. It's why we need eternal vigilance. It's why we need an activist set of electorate, why we need a formed electorate. And, yes, why we need X-ray, why we need Kate K. Thank you, Kate K., for bringing us that story. And while we're talking about the need for vigilance. You know anywhere else that's covering that story? No, you don't. <laughs> Oregon didn't cover that story. Maybe they will. Instead, what they did was just pu publish the opinion piece of the people who are paid to try to build the stuff to make money out of government procurement dollars to do that crap. You're listening to X-Ray FM, KXY, Portland, KQACHD3, Portland 107.1, 91.1 FM, streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. Go ahead, Pop. Speaking about vigilance, the city held hearings last Thursday and Friday. Regional infill project, RIP, which people came and said RIP should really stand for rest in peace. Let's get rid of that. There's going to be a work session on the 29th of January where they don't expect there will be a vote, but there will be a work session to talk about it. So that's something to keep. Again, the Douglas County voters ought to be being a little bit more vigilant, and they should be really concerned about what Douglas County commissioners did with over 40, about $44,000 of federal money. Pet travel, meeting with a conspiracy theorist. A 205 bill to a lounge in Roseburg. $1,500 worth of meals without invoices or proof. They charge the Oregonian 2000 bucks just to get the record. Lots of first-class airfare. Just an absolute boondoggle. Timber industry conferences. Oh, boy. Oh it was supposed boy. to be spent on firefighting, wildfire planning, and search and rescue efforts. 
Turned out not to be. And it's not that. Here's the thing. It's not all that much money. But the challenge is in Douglas County, and you've got, and I'm actually even where, looking at. Where they've at, closed down the library because they don't have the money to keep it open. Tim Freeman, who's a Douglas County commissioner, who actually I served with in the legislature, and I knew Tim Freeman. And it is, you know, now, exactly, it's what you said. It's not, you know, that's not that much. $43,000 is not that much money. But where there is this huge, you know, sort of like anti-government voting thing and where they keep on pushing back on public services and then getting, you know, a little bit of federal money to pay for some stuff in, partly, in part because the county is so struggling, hey, just be a little more careful. Just be a little more careful in that circumstance. Or maybe even a lot more. The town, and I don't know if Tierra del Mar is incorporated or if it's just an area, but it's a place on the coast just just south of, of Manzanita, is suing to try to stop Facebook from landing its Asian cable on a vacant lot in Tierra del Mar. It'll be interesting to watch and see how that turns out. The Oregonian has an article that says the Inverness Jail, that's a jail, of course, here in the metro area, is awash in drugs. That you just get whatever drugs you want. They come in, come in in anuses and uh, what? other places. Are yeah. we allowed to say that? Yeah, I think with that that that's legal. All right, it's that's the legal. it's the official term. Something really sad happened on the Columbia on the on the Sandy River. Yeah. Have you ever eaten at the Tippecanoe? When you go from the anuses to then the meals, no. I've actually thought that's – I was going to say that story. I was going to say the story about Shirley's Tippy Canoe, the Troutdale restaurant, burning down. Yeah, it burned down. And it was really a neat place. I've eaten there more than once. I have not. I don't know if I've eaten there. And it saddens me. And it was also just a neat thing to see driving up the highway – towards when you take the old highway up to Mount Hood. We got some texts in. Tolls are horribly regressive. No, it must be based on ability to pay. We have shoved way too much of government to the middle and lower income levels and held down wages at the same time in favor of money to CEOs. I agree with you. Uh, if we had fair wages and fair taxes, then go ahead and put in tolls. Uh, the poor should get an income tax break to, or get to get their money back. Uh, or tax breaks for poor people who pay tolls. All right, thank you. Next text, 5G is being sold based on surveillance capabilities. China has software that can identify an individual in a crowd by their gait or how they walk. Double exclamation point. Uh, thank you for the text. If you have a text, it's 971-220. How can I not speak? I've been speaking for years. 971-220-5979. 971-220-5979. There's some, there's some, there's some good local news. The SM Line's first container ship. And it's ship, about time for your straw, Pop. Okay, but SM Line's first container ship landed at Pier 6 last week after a several-year hiatus with no containers. And the snowpack, which we reported just a couple of weeks ago, was less than 50%, is now 90%. Time for Straw in the Wind. Straw in the Wind. The Toronto Uber drivers are voting to form a union because of the hugely unfair treatment they get from Uber. Just one example, if you're terminated by Uber in Toronto and you want to contest the termination, you have to travel to Holland and put up 14000 bucks. Well, Pop, we did it again. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to all the folks who make this possible. Joy, what do we learn? Space Force... 
has revealed their uniform, and it's not what I was expecting. What were you expecting? Um, like we were mentioning before, black with white spots. Black with white spots, just like Starman from yeah, like Starman. All right. Tomorrow we'll have news with friends with Emily Gilliland and Colin Jones. We'll have a brand new Oh My Dollar with Lily and Carebake. Love you, Pop. We did it one more time. And we'll be back on Thursday. Thank you, everybody, and thank you, democracy.